It's another edition of the Waiting for Next Year podcast brought to you by the Evergreen Podcast Network. We are live on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. I'm your host, Josh Poloha, with Seth Wanamaker. Once again, your Cavs Weekly podcast. Yes, by the way, we need a new name for this podcast. So if you have any recommendations or suggestions, feel free to drop them our way because Cavs Weekly podcast is probably the most boring one we can come up with. But since last Thursday, last time we talked, Cavs went 3-0. They acquired Karis LeVert, and today we are NBA trade deadline day. A lot of action around across the NBA, but the Cavs weren't involved because they got their guy on Sunday. Seth, one, how are you doing? Two, trade deadline day. Uh, what's What are your uh, opinions on it as a whole? Yeah, I'm doing great. Uh, we were talking before this. I was having a hard time following everything. I think I need like the spark notes for someone to break down all the action was back to back at work all day and had a hard time keeping up crazy flurry of, of trades and movements today is really exciting just from like an NBA fan perspective, like even taking the, the Cavalier part out of it a little bit, really exciting to see teams kind of make their move, see which teams are in for this year, which teams are out. Um, yeah, it's wild to try to keep up. And like you said, you know, Cavs got their big guy, the guy that, and I know we're going to talk all about this guy that really checks off two traits. Um, you know, so Cavs got, uh, you know, the the scoring, the playmaking, and the shot creator all all in one guy, which you know, home run again by Kobe. But yeah, really fun trade deadline. I can't wait to break it down. And uh, like you said, coming off three wins, now we're not the unlucky podcast anymore. Now we're back to like maybe these guys are lucky again. So I'm excited to talk about that. Oh, maybe. The unlucky podcast. Maybe that's the maybe that's the new name. All the maybe it's like a reverse jinx all in one. But all right, first and foremost, Karis Levert, former Ohio University commit, went to Michigan, dominate Michigan. Um, I mean, yeah, the cat I just can't believe one, he checks off all the boxes, like well, the majority of the boxes, like you said, that the Cavs needed. And two, the Cavs gave up literally zero on court talent this season to acquire a guy that could be a huge asset going forward for the Cavs, both him as like a player. And I think just him being able to ease the burden of Darius Garland and just not put or not have Darius Garland, put the team on his back literally and figuratively. I mean, that will just pay huge dividends, not only this season, but Karis Levert's around next season. And who knows about the season after that? It just like, not only helps out the Cavs as a whole, but, the fact that it helps out Darius Garland and the future point guard of the Cavs, I think is like a huge step for Kobe. Yeah. The the one thing, like you said, the, the traits are huge. Number one goal really should have been figure out how to get a little bit less wear and tear on, on Darius, um, especially given his, his back issues that he's had and how he just came back for the Spurs game. So they checked that box and, one other thing I think they did with the Karras trade is kept flexibility. You know, Karras is only on the books for next year. They really have a, a heck of a lot of flexibility now in terms of what, you know, Karras means in terms of potential extension with him, or, you know, they, they still have, you know, Colin Sexton to think about. So I think they, they got better. They maximized their chance this year, but they also kept that flexibility. So let's see how the next 30 games go. Let's see Karras in the playoffs and how this team meshes. And they, they really have all their options available. And like you said, they didn't take a single thing away from this year's team. So they're going to go learn what they need to um, need to improve on this off season, but still kept that maximum flexibility, which, you know, huge by, by Kobe. 
And not only did they bring in Karras, but I know Kobe and the rest of the team said multiple times that they're not going to make a trade, one, just to make it, and two, that will disrupt the chemistry of the team. And I know Karras, obviously, he seems like a good dude. I mean, no one really hates on him across the NBA. Rick Carlisle, the Indiana Pacers coach, had very positive things to say about him. But I feel like bringing that type of person in, a guy that's not going to destroy the chemistry, but yet be a huge asset. Like I said, he's a huge... I don't, I, I don't want to get my hopes up too high, I guess, but I'm just very excited about this Cavs team plus Karis Levert. And I don't, I guess we could talk about this too. I, I know this is one of the questions that we'll uh, discuss later on, but I think Kobe realizes the type of team this team is this year, and he's taken advantage of it. I mean, they had no expectations going into the year. We've talked about this multiple times. They had like their over under was like 26 and a half wins. They're on pace for 50. And then if you make a trade like Karis LeVert and bring him in, I think you are expecting to get to the, to at least a second round of the playoffs. Am I wrong with that? Not at all. We talked about in the playoffs, defenses tighten up, and you need a guy like a Colin Sexton or like a Karis LeVert to go get a bucket. I was doing some some statistical deep dives here the, the last uh, couple of days once they acquired LeVert. Cavs are – you know, one of the lowest pick and roll teams in the entire league. We know that because we've seen uh, Osmond have to <laughs> do it a lot, specifically when Garland's been out. Um, Laverne has some really good pick and roll stats. He's averaging, I believe this year, about 7.8 pick and rolls per game. Um, and he scores in the 81st percentile of those opportunities. So he's, you know, a, a top tier pick and roll guy, something the Cavaliers desperately needed. Other than Garland, you, you know, in the next highest uh, pick and roll guy is really Rondo at like two and a half, three a game. So they needed that guy. Like I said, in the playoffs, when everything slows down, everyone plays better defense. Absolutely needed that guy to really share the floor. That, that's one of the things I'm really excited about is, you know, Karis leading that second unit, um, whether he's like an early sub or whatnot, it makes a lot of sense. But when you need some offensive firepower, having Garland and Lavert on the court at the same time really just opens everything up. So yeah, very, very excited to your point. The only thing thing that that tampers me a little bit is just Levert's injury history it's very well documented he's he's had a bit of a hard time staying on the court um you know if, if he can if he can stay healthy um, really opens them up to another level and I I think uh, you're right on with I expect them now to really challenge and and look into it the second second round of a Eastern Conference playoffs yeah I know you brought up the pick and roll I mean yeah the Cavs wanted a shooter uh three-point shooter I guess to put in this offense, but it just didn't come to fruition. But the Cavs have three very good big guys, or two, three big guys who are very good in the pick and roll. Kevin Love, Jared Allen, and Lowry Markinen. And they, the only guy that, like you said, the only guy that could really take advantage of that as a guard was Darius Garland. So Karis LeVert might not be the best shooter from deep, but I mean, if, when, like, like you said again, Playoffs, when the game slows down, when the offensive slows down, when the defense gets better, if you have two guys that can dominate in the pick and roll and just know either to pop a mid-range shot or throw an alley-oop or find another open guy, it's tough to stop. As a def- I mean, unless you have like Giannis and a couple other guys, and we know the Bucks are really good because they just won it all last year, but it's tough to stop when you have three really good big three big guys who are really good in the pick and roll and then two guards who are also very good running the pick and roll 
One of the things interesting about the Levert trade, I wanted to ask you this question. So to me, there was this was one of the times where there was a lot of smoke around this. Like there had been a lot of reports about Levert being linked to Cleveland, Cleveland's interest in him. Uh, really going back for a while now and thinking about some of the other moves that Kobe's made. Uh, I saw an, an article that came out. He's one of the most active, you know, GMs uh, in terms of number of trades since he's been in office. Um, but really there, there was a lot of smoke to this one. So were you surprised at all of how much smoke there was and then them actually going to execute? Cause it seems like Kobe kind of, you, you know, operates in, in some silence and darkness, uh, most of his acquisitions. Yeah, I was surprised. I mean, the Cavs being interested in Karis Lover was probably the worst kept secret in the NBA besides lately it's been James Harden running out of Brooklyn. But when the time, yeah, I mean, for, it seemed like weeks, if not months, that Karis Levert and the Cavs were just, I don't know, they were, I, you wouldn't, not interested in one another, but the Cavs were interested in acquiring him. And yeah, like, last year, when the Cavs acquired Jared Allen in that three-team deal that sent James Harden to Brooklyn, the Cavs came out of nowhere. No, literally no one expected that. So maybe, I don't know. I don't know if it was like a source from the Cavs or a source, like, coming from Kobe directly. I'm, like you said, I was surprised that the Cavs, I guess made it known that they were so interested in Karis Levert, but then again, they were so interested in him. Everyone knew it, including the Indiana Pacers. And yes, Indiana might have gotten a first round draft pick and a protected first round draft pick and an early second round pick. But I mean, they gave up a guy like Karis Levert for a guy that uh, an expiring contract that's out for the year and two picks. I, I don't know. I feel like if they had leverage, they would have gotten more than that. And they must not have had leverage. Yeah. The the one thing that really stuck out about Levert's first game, so their their big win over the Spurs just the other night, it was it was honestly a little weird for me to see a wing move the way he does on the Cavaliers and dribble the way he does and get penetration the way he does. I'm so accustomed to the Cavalier offense this year where it's you know Garland or, or Rondo or Goodwin kind of creating. Uh, or, you know, setting up really post-ups for the big guys. And we just have not had a wing that has that dribble penetration ability to make those shots. So it was honestly a, a little kind of shell-shocking to watch it for the first few minutes. I mean, I when was the last time we had a wing like that not named LeBron James, to be honest? Right. I, I couldn't even, yeah, none really comes to mind. I guess you could say like a Clarkson, you know, has some of that same style, but uh, you know, not, not, um, you know, no one else is really coming to mind. Yeah. And I hate, we won't bring up LeBron the rest of the podcast, even though tonight's, I don't know if you watched the NBA all-star draft, but it was hysterical just because Charles Barkley and company were just hating on James Harden, who was the last pick in the draft, but back to the Cavs. Um, Oh, and by the way, I guess Darius Garland was the second pick among the reserves. He went to Team LeBron. Team LeBron said he had to pick the Cleveland guy. So Darius Garland will be representing Cleveland in the All-Star game, which is in Cleveland, on Team LeBron, which is awesome. But back to the Cavs on the court. Um, yeah, I mean, Karis Levert, he had like 11 points on like seven or – I forget. it Was it 11 points on like – Nine, ten shot. I forget how many shots he had last night. He wasn't that effective, but he also showed glimpses of what the Cavs are hoping he'd show, which is driving to the basket, 
for a layup, didn't find in the open. He only had like two assists, but I feel like he had a lot more good passes than that. And like, I know Kevin Love missed a wide open three. I want to get Carousel Vert's passes. That happens. But I just feel like, I don't know. We've discussed this multiple times already, and even on Twitter, and I wrote a story on it Sunday night. Kerr is literally the perfect fit for this team for not for what the Cavs had to give up to get him. There were a few articles out there that thought that the Cavaliers may be overpaid. And I've seen some, I've seen some negatory, you know, analysis regarding his defense. You know, maybe it was just the first game, but he had, I think two deflections. Uh, he was hustling around, avoiding screens. He really impressed me. Obviously, offensively, like we were saying, there's just not a lot like him on the current team. But defensively, he he was moving. I, I'm thinking, you know, being around guys like Allen and Mobley, of course, is going to help his defense. But perhaps he's going to be inspired by you know joining the the number one team in in the NBA in terms of points against, and we might be able to see some of his best defense. You know, he's played in his career now that he's healthy and and surrounded by these guys. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I we could talk about Karis LeVert for hours, I feel like, but on with that, uh, I guess that's enough for the Karis LeVert, LeVert talk for now. Darius Garland finally came back last night. It seemed like he never missed a beat. He was out for like, it seemed like forever, but it was like a week or a week and a half. He dominated last night. He was 12 for 15 from the field. Getting guys open. I, Darius, DG, the PG... The all-star, it's the leap he's taken and just like him being out for a few games then stepping in and acting like he never missed a, a beat last night, even with Karis LeVert as a new teammate. Darius, Darius is so freaking good. Yeah, I saw his efficiency numbers were outrageous. 12, I think he was 12 of 15 from the field. You know, three of three from the three point line. He's doing like his little bunny hop that he does after he he, he j- shoots his shot. Had a bunch of floaters, bunch of penetration. Um, it's been painful, as we talked about last time. The last you know four or five games without him, the offense is just so different. Um, Cavaliers really gutted out some some tough fought victories. Um, you know, since since they got Garland back, but man, he he just takes this team to a whole another level, whole another tier. And thinking about adding. Uh, not to go back, thinking about adding Lavert along with Garland is, is so exciting. Um, if if I were if I were to go back just really quick on you know the two games before uh, when Garland was out and the last time we talked, we had the uh, we had the Hornets win, which never seen anything like that before in my life, where the referees gift the Hornets three points and almost mount their complete comeback. <laughs> it was the most absurd thing I've ever seen. Uh, Josh, have you ever seen? Anything quite like that before in an NBA game? Just when I thought it didn't get worse than NFL referees, the NBA comes out and does something like that. I, I've never, one, I've never seen it. But two, like, I don't get how you can have a meeting. And they even came out after the game and said that they thought the whistle came after the shot. When you talk, don't you say, like, hey, I blew the whistle when that guy stepped out of bounds, and then the other guy would be like, well, yeah, he stepped out of bounds, then passed the ball, and then the guy shot. So, like, shouldn't there be, like, a conversation about how it was literally, like, it wasn't even, like, a split second. It was, like, a solid three seconds. And, I mean, luckily the Cavs won because if they would have lost and protested the game, they would have won the protest. And I don't think I've ever seen an NBA game played in, like, the final minute the following day or the next day or whatever. And 
I don't know. I don't know. Luckily, the, luckily for us in the NBA, the Cavs won that game, or else it could have been very interesting. I was going nuts. I think I was yelling prison time for the referees. I was going absolutely crazy. Clear clear as day, like a two-and-a-half, three-second delay after they, they caught him out on the line. Rozier's body relaxes. He, he j- jacks up a three, and then yeah, they get, uh, they get three points plus the technical, so a four-point swing. Uh, absurd but then kevin love steps up you know down one with one second left knocks down both free throws uh, and then the the very next game the pacers uh you know Cavs were Cavs got whacked in the first quarter and then came out and i think the quarters two through four yeah outscored the pacers 86 to 58 to close the game cavalanche the cavalanche absolutely <laughs> <laughs> and where uh, th- that was where Osmond just went absolutely nuts in the fourth quarter. I think he scored, yeah, he scored 18 points in the fourth. So, you know, wanted to just highlight just the grit of the team, you know, while Garland was out, you know, two big wins at the time, though, the Hornets win, you know, Hornets were right there, you know, on the border of the play in and the top eight. Um, so that was, that was a huge win without Garland and then just gutting out kind of a nasty Pacers game. So, you know, having Garland back is so nice and it, it was great to see the team kind of, kind of stay above water, um, while he was out. Not only Derek Garland being out, but Jared Allen, whether he took it personal that he wasn't in all-star reserve or what he's been absolutely dominating the last three games and all-star with that game in Charlotte. I, without looking up the stats, he had like 29 points and 22 rebounds or something absurd. And then LaMelo, who was named All-Star Reserve, struggled against the Cavs. So it is what it is. But, I mean, Jared, Karis LeVert and Darius are getting all the talk. And, I mean, even Jetty and Kevin Love are with the Cavalanche and against the Indiana Pacers the other night. But Jared Allen has been absolutely dominating in the paint. Yeah, you can tell that the all-star snub really ticked him off. I mean, he he came out the next couple of games, just hair on fire, um, so physical. He, he seemed like he had hit a bit of a lull. We we talked about this, I think, last time. After the Golden State game, that was a tough game for a lot of Cavaliers, but it seemed like, you know, Allen was maybe just getting tired. They've, they've had such a brutal schedule. And, man, af- after that all-star snub, he's just been an absolute monster. So it's nice to see him kind of creep back up. I you know, you could tell that there was there was something again bothering him. Don't know if it was if it was just legs or or what, but he's come back. And I mean, they they need him for for some of these teams uh, looking ahead into the Eastern Conference. Some some of the Eastern Conference teams made some moves for some big guys today. Um, so yeah, they're they're going to need him and him playing ticked off. I'm okay to be honest that he that he missed the All Star game. I think that might help the Cavaliers in the long run. In a world infatuated with comic fandom comes a show to help us remember the talents that have inspired us. Whoa, 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 cut. Oh, come on. It wasn't that bad. It's a bit dramatic. Let's just tell them about the show, guys. We are the Canned Air Podcast. Join us weekly for a comedic trip through pop culture. We also welcome some cool comic creators, as well as some of the voice and screen actors that help shape your childhood. Find us on cannedairpodcast.com and on the Evergreen Podcast Network. One would say that all these other East teams are getting big guys because they're afraid of the Cavs big big three, literally and figuratively. Yeah, absolutely. If you want to match up and, and you think you might see the Cavaliers, you better load up on some big guys right now. 
because <laughs> uh, the Cavaliers have proved they, they don't care what lineup you run. They're going to run with the, with the three bigs, with uh, with Laurie and Man Mobley and Allen. So I think there was some very strategic chess play today. And who would have ever thought that the Cavs would, one, be getting Karis LeVert at the deadline and other teams like the Milwaukee Bucks would be getting big guys too. I mean, I'm not saying that it's specifically for the Cavs, but it's probably for the Cavs. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're right. I mean... I'm not sure what else it's for. I mean, he Ibaka's not exactly uh, you know too relevant of a player at this point in his career on most teams. So I think he's he's one of those guys where hey, if you need to if you need to eat some minutes and and deal with an Allen or Mobley, you better get a guy like that. It's man, that's still crazy to me that the Cavs are still this rel- not only this relevant, but they're a game back in the for the top seed of the East. If they well, one if they don't make the playoffs, it's going to be a huge. Yes, we have no expectations this season, but it's going to be a huge disappointment if they don't make the playoffs. But I mean, given their strength of schedule the rest of the way, they should get a top four seed in the East and have home court advantage in the first round of the playoffs, which is insane to me. That is literally insane to me. Yeah, I don't. I don't need to go off on too much of a tangent, but thinking about the moves that were made today. I think it, to me, it helps solidify likely who's going to be part of, you know, top 10 when, when you think about, you know, top six and then the four for the play-in, right? There's, I'll just rattle real quickly here. Of course, you've got the Heat, Bucks, Bulls, Cavs, 76ers, Raptors. Those are the top six in the East right now. And I, I would think all feel pretty likely to, you know, to be part of uh, the postseason play. Next four, you've got Celtics, Nets, Hornets, and Hawks. Um, below them, you, you've got teams like the Wizards, Knicks, Pacers. So it feels like those top 10, again, Hawks, Hornets, Nets, and Celtics going 10 through 6, feels like some of those moves really solidified that. And I, I just can't think of a bad matchup. Like every single series in the Eastern Conference could be really, really good this year. One through eight, two, seven, three, six, four, five. You know, every series is going to be like appointment TV because there's not one team that that's just going to beat up on everyone it's you know the sixth seed maybe the best team in the east it's going to be wild to see how this all shakes out yeah i mean the east is one wide open and two i mean yeah the two best teams in the nba in the record wise are the phoenix suns and golden state warriors in the west but as far as like who could win the East? There are a lot more teams that could win the East than there are more teams that could win the West, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, like you said, the sixth seed, sixth seed, who I think are the Celtics right now, who just acquired Derek White from the Spurs. I mean, if they get if Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, and Derek White get hot at the right time, they could beat anyone in the East. Yeah, Golden State and Phoenix might be the huge favorites over out that way, but yeah, like you were saying, the East is one wide open and two appointment television, but the fact that it's wide open gives me a lot of hope as a Cavs fan as well with a team that literally I don't I mean no no playoff experience for the most part, but I I couldn't tell you Jared Allen maybe with Brooklyn, did he make playoffs in Brooklyn? Karis Levert too. But besides that, the Cavs don't really have any playoff experience either. That's the one thing when I look at you know, who's around the the Cavaliers right now, both ahead and behind them. Uh, you know, that's the one I think very big disadvantage that this team probably has. They've got, you know, all the continuity, all the youth. Um, but when you look at the Miami Heat, 
Milwaukee Bucks, obviously, who won last year. Chicago's got a bunch of guys who have been to the playoffs. Um, Philly, obviously, Embiid, and and now Harden has, has been there a bunch. Toronto won a championship. They've still got some guys on their team. Boston's been to the Eastern Conference Finals and, and got a bunch of folks. So, yeah, the Eastern Conference is riddled with playoff experience. So uh, it's going to be really interesting to see how much that, you know, that's a factor for this year. And like we were saying earlier, playoff basketball is completely different. Everything slows down. Every cliche, but every possession matters. For guys like Kevin Durant and LeBron and those guys, they turn it up a notch in the playoffs. So, yeah, the Cavs are young. I mean, they have house money because no one expected them to be this good, let alone one of the top teams in the NBA right now. But, yeah, I mean, we'll talk. We have plenty of time to talk about this, but the playoffs will be super interesting for such a young and experienced team overall. Yeah, like you said, well, you know, we can hit on this for the next really two months. We're going to have really interesting playoff talk, and it just hits home how important every game is. I, I know there's like 30 of them left, but wow, the the positioning of, of the playoffs is going to be wild. And I, I guess maybe it matters, but maybe it almost doesn't. Like we, like I was just saying, like maybe a, a three seed um, isn't as important as being the the five seed because maybe there's a more opportunistic matchup. So it's going to be really interesting. Maybe the last games of the season to see where teams are are kind of fouling in at and, and what matchups come about and speaking of matchups the Cavs next game it's Saturday against Phil, their first of four games against Philadelphia the rest of the year right it is yeah they got Pacers Friday then first game against Philly this oh, Saturday Pacers tomorrow yeah. night my bad but it, one speaking of the deadline James Harden traded to the Philadelphia 76ers for Ben Simmons and Seth Curry and some other guys I wonder if James Harden will suit up. I'm assuming he'll magically, like they were making fun of him on the NBA All-Star draft tonight, he'll magically not be injured anymore. But James Harden, Joel Embiid, I mean, yeah, Jared Allen and Isaac Okoro, I'm assuming will have their hands full. But that's a true. That'll, that'll be the first true test for this new look Cavs team. Yeah, and the 76ers got to keep some of their key pieces. You know, they got rid of uh, – I think it was Seth Curry and Drummond, but, you know, they they got to keep, you know, some of their wing types um, that's really going to make a team whole. Let me ask you this, Josh. Did you – there's there's a lot to be said about what both of those teams are going to feel and see, at, you know, over the next couple of weeks with injuries. But does that trade today with, with Harden and, and Simmons, does that make you fear – both teams more, less, the same. Do you have an opinion on you know what you thought of those teams and and what that might mean for the Cavaliers? It's a, that's actually an interesting question. James Harden's one of the most elite stores in the NBA. We all know that, but I don't know how he's going to gel with a guy like Joel Embiid. They both are ball dominant. Yes, James Harden averages double digit assists sometimes, but I feel like they're both ball dominant players even though one's a center and one's like a point guard slash shooting guard it'll be interesting to see how those two mesh but as far as brooklyn goes i think i fear brooklyn a lot more now it's if ben simmons comes back and he's in shape and 100 because i mean kevin durant and ben simmons on defense in the playoff game in the playoff let alone a playoff game or a playoff series but that is a lot of length and a lot of height for guys that can literally guard positions one through five and defensively. I mean, Ben Simmons, we all know his offensive struggles, but I think I fear Brooklyn's defense with Ben Simmons and Kevin Durant more than I fear James Harden and Jabal Embiid offensively. 
Yeah, that was going to be my my point too. I think that what the Nets were able to get um, may be a huge deal because they also picked up you know Seth Curry and Drummond. So eventually they may have three starters from this trade and Seth Curry is like that Joe Harris that's hurt right now. I mean, that's perfect. That's exactly what that Nets team needs is a guy who can stretch the floor and shoot, you know, allow, you know, Katie and, and Kyrie to, to do their magic, but have a guy in the corner ready to go, which is exactly what Seth Curry is. So if Simmons can give them much of anything, I, I think this could be a really big deal for the Nets. Yeah. I mean, it's so hard to say like James Harden, can put up 40 and 40 points and 15 assists on any given night. But I just, I hate his offensive game for one, because he goes for fouls and never, if, if he can get a foul, he's going to go for a foul rather than put up a shot. Well, I guess he has to put up a shot to get fouled, but you know what I'm saying? I just hate his offensive game. And I just, I don't know. My, I've soured a lot on James Harden. He's just, the way he's demanded trades the last two off seasons. And I mean, I know Adrian Wojnarowski had a tweet today, something about like how James Harden doesn't want it. He wants out of Brooklyn, but he doesn't want to request, request a trade for the second straight summer. I was like, isn't he literally requested a trade by saying that he doesn't want to request a trade. It's just, I, I just don't like James Harden. I don't know. I'm not a fan. Yeah, that that hamstring has got to be somewhat concerning. It seems like Maury, you know, Daryl Maury doesn't really care, and that's his guy, and he was going to go get him no matter what. But I would be very nervous if I were to give up a lot of assets, um, you know, like they did with a guy who isn't notorious for playing good defense, isn't notoriously good in the playoffs. Um, like you said, I, that's going to be one very interesting dynamic. Is Embiid has has been such a go-to guy. I mean, he's, he could be the MVP this year, but if you watch uh, the 76ers play, he does so much just like, you know, post game, he, he'll dribble for 10 seconds and then make his move or, or, you know, popping out and shooting the three. Like you said, very, both are very ball dominant guys. So I don't know if, if Embiid is going to be kind of the running mate that Harden may want where Harden tries to get back past his guy and, and throw a lob or, or make a pass. Like they, they both love to initiate offense um, and kind of in a slow way. Like that, that pace may be interesting to watch for the Sixers. Yeah. I mean, James Harden, we all saw the picture of this past or his first game back where he put on some weight. I just, I don't know. I, I just don't, I guess I should fear Philadelphia because Joel Embiid's probably, the front runner for the MVP and the leading scorer in the NBA right now. He puts up like, I don't know. There was a point I think last week where he had like a seven game stretcher. He was averaging like 41 points a game, which is insane. One for a player, two for a, a guy that considered considers himself a setter. But like, I don't know. I just, uh, it's hard for me to fear Philadelphia. At, at least when defense means so much in the playoffs, I just don't really fear Philadelphia as much as I do a, a Milwaukee Bucks or Brooklyn Mets or yeah, I mean even Miami. Miami, I know you talked about it earlier with PJ Tucker and Bam and Jimmy Butler, Kyle Lowry. I mean, those are four good defensive players. I just if if I could choose a first round matchup between like the top five teams in the East, I think I would choose. I don't know, I don't want to regret this. I think I would choose the Philadelphia 76ers. Yeah, I would be. I would probably say Sixers one, Bulls two. You know, those those would be the two teams where I say, hey, if I'm gonna if I'm gonna go uh, play one of those top five teams, Heat, Bucks, Bulls, 76ers, Yeah, it's, it's definitely you know Sixers one. I think Bulls two. 
I forgot about the Bulls, by the way. I just want to say that. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, Bulls are Jimmy the Bulls are the Sixers. I mean, if the Cavs finish up as like a three seed, I would love. If they finish up as a three seed, I would love for the Bulls or 76ers to finish as a two seed. Put it that way. Yep. Yeah. Weirdly enough, and maybe I'm just like protecting my own emotions here. <laughs> when when I think about some of the other teams that are a little bit lower now, so I'll look, you know, take Brooklyn out of it because if they're healthy, they're they're a top two or three team in the East. But thinking about the Toronto Raptors or, or even the Boston Celtics, those are the teams that that make me a little nervous if I'm a Cavalier fan, cause they have phenomenal wings, super athletic, talented. Um, they're big and rangy, but a lot of the guys can create their own shots. So I, I think I would almost want to play a, you know, a Chicago or a Philly versus some of those teams that they just have like four or five guys that are all like six, eight and fast and quick and athletic. And that, I don't know necessarily how that team, you know, matches up against the Cavaliers. Put me in the owl play Toronto in April for 100 times out of 100. I know we talked about this prior to the podcast. Uh, I mean, they Nick Nurse is just running that team to death, literally and figuratively. They Fred Van Vliet, Pascal Siokam, and OG Onanobi are the top three players in minutes played per game in the NBA. The three Toronto players, top three, they're starting five, so it's one, two, three. Scotty Barnes is number 10. And then Gary Trent Jr., the fifth starter, is number 23. So their five starters are in the top 23 of minutes played. I mean, yeah, it's nice now that they're winning games. But in an 82-game regular season, I just don't think you can hold up. I love the Cavs. I know we talked about this part of the podcast, too. The Cavs, their top minutes guy is Darius Garland. He has played 34.6 minutes a night, which is tied for 27th in the league. So the Cavs' top guys are over 27, and the Toronto's entire starting five lowest is 23. I just think, I mean, yeah, the playoffs happen, and then they have like a one or two games off, one or two days off every game. But if you play 82 game regular season with that many minutes a night, eventually your legs are going to get tired. I don't care how in shape you are. Yeah, I don't. When you gave me that stat earlier, I don't know what Nurse is doing. That's like assault. You can, you cannot have three of your starters in the top ten in minutes per game. No, not only three. They're top. They're one, two, three in minutes played. Like Nick <laughs> Nurse, sure. what are you doing? Like, there's a reason Fred Van Vliet is one a first time All Star and two has the stats that he does. He's literally playing to be exact. He is playing thirty eight point six minutes a night, almost a full minute more than any other player in the NBA. Oh. Yeah, that's that's like Thibodeau range right there. I mean, he maybe Nurse is the new Thibodeau. This is that's just insane. <laughs> Can't do it. Thirty eight point six. He's literally he doesn't even sit ten minutes a game. It's cra- It's like one. I don't really pay attention to the Raptors, so maybe they don't have that much depth. But like, you have to think about it's it's a marathon, not a sprint. That's the that's the term, right? Does Nick Nurse think it's like a sprint? And I mean, if you're playing for the playoffs, which you obviously are because they're in the top four of the East, aren't you trying to like conserve your guys' legs a little bit? I just, I mean, yeah, he's a, he, they won it all a couple years ago with Kawhi, but like, I would be, I, I've, I don't listen to anything Toronto based either. So maybe like their beat writers are complaining about it or maybe their fans are complaining about it, but it's just amazing to me that literally three, they're, 
the top three minutes played players in the NBA right now are all rappers. Yeah. Yeah. The only thing I can think of is they're right kind of on that fringe right now of that six, seven seed. So maybe trying to avoid the playing, but no excuses really. I mean, that's just absurd. Like you said, they're, they're yeah, they're going to come in with some bandages rolling into April. Yeah. So give me the, my, do you know what <laughs> I'll say right now? Hold on. If I, without looking at the NBA standings with teams that legitimately have a chance, if I could have like a, First round matchup and second round matchup. Give me the Raptors and the 76ers. No, wait. Yeah, give me the Raptors. and the, I was thinking 76ers have Ben Simmons. No. Uh, yeah, give me the Raptors and the 76ers. First, second round. Yeah, I'll, I'll sign up for that. <laughs> avoid the Bulls. I'm sorry. Excuse me. Avoid the Bucks. Avoid the Heat. I'm in. Let's go. Actually, yeah, I'm team avoid the Bucks and the Heat no matter what. And freaking now Brooklyn too because I'm – Ben Simmons hasn't played in a while, but um, that defense just scares me a lot, especially in the playoffs when defense means so much more. It's just Ben, like Ben Simmons and K- KD, like I said, they can guard one through five. They have length. They, they're tall. They have length. That is, I mean, I, I picture one of them shutting down Darius and the other guy shutting down Karis LeVert, and it's like, uh, uh, how, how did the Cavs score now? Like, where do they go? Benson, if I'm if I'm trying to construct a game plan against the Cavaliers, yeah, you said it. It's throw Ben Simmons on Garland and make someone else win. And then you throw Kevin Durant on Karras, and then you have point dot jetty, right? Right. And we we can't have that anymore. So. <laughs> At least we got Rondo. Oh, you know what? That actually brings up an interesting point about uh, you know, playmaking. So you and I, I think we're both maybe slightly surprised that there wasn't any additional moves made. Um, do you think that the Cavaliers are going to be active with buyout candidates? And do, do you have anyone that you're thinking might be a good fit or are you thinking they might stand packed completely and, and kind of roll in with their current roster? The buyout's interesting because a lot of the times the buyout guys go rain chase them so they go to the la lakers or they go to the milwaukee bucks the fact that the Cavs are even in like hey this guy might want to go sign with the Cavs after he's bought out is crazy to me for one and two it's not like the Cavs can just go out and get whoever they want even if they're a free agent they're gonna have to compete like i said with the other top teams so it i don't know it will a guy like dennis schroeder who got t- traded to Houston today, which is a deal that I don't know what the Rackets are doing, but if he gets bought out, I would love to bring him as him bring him in as a backup point guard. And then we also have to think that it's been well known that Dean Gilbert will one spend the money, but two he does not want the team in the luxury tax this year because then it'll be a repeat offender going forward when they really get into cap situations. So the most the Cavs can spend this year is like $3.7 million. And if they buy, if they get someone in the buyout market, it's not like they're getting rid of salary to gain salary. So I, I don't know. There's just a lot of factors. But I think without really looking it up, I would be in on Dennis Schroeder. I don't really know any point guards that are like, hey, he might get bought out. But either a three-point shooter or – and I, this is like – I just keep talking, don't I, with a stuffy nose too. Um 
I just don't want Rajon Rondo to be the backup point guard in the playoffs. I, I love Rondo. I love the positive things he said about the Cavs. It shows that the Cavs are actually legitimate, the fact that he's talking positive. But he he's a good contributor, but he shoots too much. And there's a reason why he's always open and the, Cav, the Cavs opponents want him to shoot because he's not a good shooter. And I love Rondo. I really do. But... Like, if the Cavs need him to contribute in the scoring column in the playoffs, I think that's to be a problem. Yeah, I almost feel bad saying that um, because he, he's coming off a really good game against the Pacers where I think he, you know, he had like 15 points, great efficiency. He was um, – he had a great fourth quarter, closed the game. But I agree. they Even in the playoffs where you're going to shorten your rotation, play guys, a few guys, a lot of minutes. I mean, Rondo, as of now, is your your second point guard. Um, because that, you know, as of now, I'll, I'll say this too, um, Goodwin, I don't believe can be put on the playoff roster. So Cavaliers would need to make another move. Maybe, you know, I saw on, I think on Twitter, maybe they wave Pangos, but I, I think it, it would be very nice if they had a, a secondary point guard that had a little bit more ability than Rondo. Again, like you're saying, great contributor. He's great for the team. You know, you hear all these great quotes about him teaching the new guys, I'm sorry, the young guys, new things and different variations of the pick and roll I saw earlier today staying after practice. But if you're relying on Rondo to, to run minutes and significant, you know, game five of the playoffs, I mean, he's, he's 36. His shot's pretty broken. He, he's not the best at staying in front of guys. Wait, hold on. I'm interrupting you quick. Was his shot ever not broken? <laughs> True. <laughs> yeah. I was being a little nice there. I'm being a little rosy probably, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's, I mean the, the good that the tough part with Rondo, I, I felt the good has been like really good when he's been, he's had two, I think two games with the Cavaliers have been awesome. A couple other years like, eh, okay. And then the, the other four or five, he's missed because of injury. So he's not a, unfortunately, I don't think he's sustainable. And if, you know, if the Cavs can look at the market for buyout candidates, the the question really is how much of an upgrade are you getting right maybe maybe goodwin even turns out to be you know the second point guard I, that's one of the things that it, it feels like they, they have a pretty set you know lineup going into a playoff series i won't say lineup but a pretty set rotation you know top nine guys um the one piece i'll be interested in and i think right now jb would would probably have rondo's that second point guard position over goodwin just based on experience but you know that that could prove to be a bit of a sore um you know as they go into against the really good teams I think the problem here is that we're comparing whether Rondo or Brandon Goodwin would be the PG2 on this team. I think that's problem number one. I love them both, but that, that again, Karis LeVert, I guess, is a backup point guard. But then you run like he's not a legitimate point guard. So it, I don't know. It's just one of those things where probably come playoff time, which we have plenty of time to talk about this going forward, obviously. Um Rondo and or Goodwin would probably be counting on for like 10 minutes a night, maybe in the playoffs. You're going to probably get 30. You'll you'll easily get 37 to 40 out of Darius Garland. I'm assuming Karis LeVert will take the other point guard duties at eight to 10, eight to 11 minutes. But I don't know. Is it worth discussing like the 14th or 15th guy in the roster come playoff time? I don't know. But speaking of uh, Brandon Goodwin currently is not playoff eligible. He's on a two-way contract. Two-way contracts are not. But speaking of Kevin Pangos, you brought up, it was reported yesterday that he signed with CSK Moscow 
And then he was at the Cavs game and played last night. So I don't know what's going on with that. Kevin Pingos was supposed to be like a 14th or 15th guy in the roster that from overseas, he was supposed to be pretty good. I don't think highly of him, at least as like a on-court guy. Maybe he's a great off-the-court. I would love for him to side with Moscow, and that will open up a roster spot, maybe for Brandon Goodwin, maybe for a buyout candidate. But yeah, going back to Brandon Goodwin, though, he is currently not eligible for the playoffs because he's on a two-way contract. And speaking of that, March 1st is the deadline for playoff-eligible players. So either the Cavs need to buy, sign a free agent from the buyout market by March 1st or convert Brandon Goodwin's two-way contract to a fully guaranteed deal for the rest of the season by March 1st. So they have, what, like three weeks, two, two and a half, three weeks? Hit Pass Moto, sponsored by Moto America, is the show that keeps you up to speed on the latest in motorcycling and brings the biggest names in motorcycle racing right to you. From candid interviews with the top names in racing to providing insights into the trends and trendsetters driving the motorcycle industry, we have you covered. New episodes are available every Thursday at pitpassmoto.com and on your favorite podcast app. Right on. Yeah, and it feels like a no-brainer. Obviously, there, you know, if you're picking between those two players, you're gonna you're gonna wave Pangos and, and bring Goodwin on. Kind of the scary thing about, like you said, we're picking between Rondo and Goodwin. Um, you know, if Darius were to were to go out or have some back spasms, or even if let's say they they have Rondo be the second point guard and then he goes out, it's like the, these guys get get thrown into the mix really quick. So yeah, it's it's gonna be interesting. Uh, one name I saw, and it's I, I can't say how much of an upgrade it is, but you know DJ Augustine got looks like he's being waived, and that's the other piece too. We haven't seen everyone that's getting waived yet, so this is very fluid, ongoing. We'll we'll see what happens over the next two days, probably. Then we'll get a better mix of who's available. DJ Augustine has to be hitting like fifty, right? It seems like he's literally been in the league, NBA for like decades. But I think about it, he wasn't he Kevin Durant's point guard at Texas, so he can't be that old. I think he's 34. That sounds what? right. I thought I saw he's 34. That is, he, it literally seems like TJ Augustine has been in the league forever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's uh, yeah. It'll be interesting. We'll, we'll see, I guess where they, where they go. Um, th- this actually kind of transitions to some mailbag questions. So a couple listeners sent me a note. Unless you want to, unless no, no, fresh, no, you, you go. go. I, okay. I was in, I, oh, geez, I, I just hit my mic. Mailbag. <laughs> so I mean, yeah, cliche podcast mailbag. Every podcast is mailbag. But yeah, Seth messaged me earlier. Some of his buddies that listened to the podcast had some questions. So going forward, if you have some questions for us, we'll treat stuff out. Mailbag question. I mean, we're most likely not going to get a lot, so we're not going to have to like choose which ones we do and don't do. But yeah, if you have a question <laughs> for us. We can talk about it, answer it, ask like we're ex- experts, even though we're not. So, yeah, tweet us, message us, Facebook us, I guess. Who has Facebook? MySpace? No, I'm kidding. But seriously, <laughs> tweet at us if you have a mailbag question, and we'll try our best to get to it as long as it's a good question. Yep. Yeah, and, and if you're you know if you're following live here, please uh, live comment too, because like like Josh, uh, no expert, so I would love uh, the counterpoints here to to roll we're, in live. We're all experts. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So uh, yeah, we got two two questions in the mailbag here. So number one, and this is from Nick. 
Josh, what do you think the starting lineup for the Cavaliers is going to be in late March, early April? Ahead of the playoffs, what do you think the starting lineup for the Cavaliers is going to be? First off, we cheated because Seth sent me these questions hours ago, so I got I had time to think. But secondly, I think it is purely matchup-based. Karis Levert came off the bench last night. Isaac Okoro got the start. Dean Wade also got the start. I love Dean Wade, but like he shouldn't be in the starting lineup when fully healthy, obviously. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you're going up against a team that has a dominant – because, okay, I feel like I just keep talking without really going anywhere right now. Isaac Okoro doesn't provide the best offensive game. We all know that. He is a decent shooter, a great slasher. But what he does defensively makes things so much easier for the other four Cavaliers on the court. He will not necessarily take out the best player one through four on the opposing team, but he'll make things very tough for them, whether it's Kevin Durant, whether it's LaMelo Ball. I mean, I can... A small point guard to Kevin Durant, Isaac Okoros, and make things tough. But that also allows a guy like Darius Garland to not have to work as hard defensively. So even if Isaac Okoros is not providing much offensively, which, I mean, lately he has. If he, I've been saying for a while, if Isaac Okoros gives me like 12 to 15, no, I'll, I'll take 10 to 13 points a game while being semi-efficient, sign him to a freaking extension now. Because he just provides so much offensive or defensively that just makes things so much easier for guys like Darius Garland. Because if Darius Garland had to work hard defensively, that would hurt his offensive game. I mean, we're all human. Yes, they're getting paid millions, but if you're working hard on one end of the floor, you're not going to be able to work as hard on the other end of the floor. So going back to the starting lineup then, I think it is purely matchup-based. I think it depends who the other team is. I mean, like I said, if they have a really good offensive guy, you probably start Isaac. If you're not too worried about defensively, you probably start Karis LeVert. And I mean, I know Twitter, us fans, we worry so much about who starts, but in reality, starter or not, it doesn't really matter. I mean, two minutes into the game, three minutes into the game, you're making a sub. Karis LeVert's going to get starter minutes. Isaac Okoro will likely get starter minutes. It's basically whose who's name is announced in the starting lineup. That's the only like reason that the starting lineup matters because they'll both just get starters minutes. And I mean, yeah, that was, that is a great question. Did you say Nick? Did Nick send that? Yeah. Nick, great question. But I think it's purely matchup based. I think that's the easiest answer. I guess I didn't really answer the question by by answering it. How about, no, do you know, in the playoffs when it probably won't be a matchup based, I think it'll be Okoro. And then they'll have Karis LeVert be the first guy off the bench. And then he'll come in and DG will go to the bench later on and Karis LeVert will take up the ball handling duties. But yeah, I think Okoro just provides, provides so much defensively that helps out Darius Garland that you have to run him like a one-two punch. Yeah, I sh- I know we we said I, I shared these these questions a few hours ago. I should have compared notes too because my answer was exactly what yours was. Uh, it was matchup based. JB's going to make the right call. So whatever JB says goes. <laughs> that was my answer. And by the way, how awesome is that? I guess we can talk about this with the trade deadline. That like we can literally say whatever Kobe Altman and JB Bickerstaff think is right. Have at it because we trust them. Like who would have ever thought that a year ago when we. J.B. Bickerstaff was like an unknown, but a lot of people wanted Kobe Altman fired. Now I'm like, whatever he does or doesn't do, 
it was obviously the right decision. And it's crazy that, I don't know. It's crazy that as a cast fan, I could say that about our head coach and GM right now. Yeah. Take the, you know, take the responses out of our, our dumb Twitter thumbs and we'll let the coach handle this one. Cause he's been making the right moves all year. If you, if, like you did, if, if you were to put me in the corner, um, I think the, like you said, what a coral brings is, is massive for Garland. And I think not that they need to try to amplify a core scoring. That's not really what he's used for, but the best scoring opportunity for Okoro is probably going to be paired with Garland. So I love, you know, as long as Laurie's a part of that starting lineup, as long as Laurie's space in the floor, then I think Okoro, you know, would, would be kind of my normal too, unless there was something really odd kind of matchup based and then let Levert, um, you know, let Levert obviously come in early um, and, and go from there. So but I, I'm, I tend to kind of enjoy like the slug it out games a little bit too. So that, that's probably where some of my answer is coming from where I love when the Cavaliers win like 93 to 87, just kind of nasty, like <laughs> 2006 Cavs versus Pistons. I kind of love that. That style of basketball. See, yeah. Now that I feel like once, I mean, like we said this multiple times tonight, we have plenty of time to talk playoffs in the Cavs. We have a couple months still. But I feel like the Cavs' best chance to win in the playoffs is like a slow it down, slug it out style. I mean, they have like the number one scoring defense right now, which is beyond crazy to me after years of having one of the worst defenses in the league. But yeah, I mean, like I said multiple times by answering the question without really answering the question earlier, Isaac Okoro, yes, he might be a problem offensively at times, but he just provides so much defensively that makes up for it. And it just helps out everyone else on the team. Because, like, let's be honest. If you start, Karis LeVert's not the best defender. We know that. But, I mean, if you start Karis LeVert and Darius Garland with uh, three seven-footers, you're instantly counting on either Karis LeVert or Darius Garland to take out the opposing best player on the team, unless it's Joel Embiid, basically. I mean, are you? I guess against the Bucks, you have Lowry guard Giannis. Although... I mean, that's, I, that's a bad comparison because Giannis is a matchup nightmare no matter what. But, yeah, I, I'm i all for Isaac Okoro starting. You know, starters don't really matter besides in the player introductions. And just, and like you said, Darius Garland, or Isaac Okoro plays much better with Darius Garland. So I'm fine with that too. But, yeah, that is a great mailbag question for the debut of that. And I hope we can talk more about that as we get close to April, because that means that the cats in the playoffs are very, very legitimate. Yep. And, and I'll, I'll hop off this question, but just one more piece. I think you, you made a really good point. If you play someone like the bulls who has two very good wings and, in, in um, you know, in DeRozan, well, they got, they got, you know, backcourt galore basically with Levine and DeRozan. And then um, with, uh, with the Celtics, <clears throat> Where you have uh, where you have Brown and Tatum, you're going to want a Coro in that starting lineup. I don't I don't, do not think you want you know you don't want Garland, Lavert, and Laurie trying to to you know two of those guys guarding two of those guys. So I think I think it's going to make more sense as they get a bit closer. But like we said, full full trust in in JB to see what what he rolls out. Absolutely, I trust in JB and Kobe always. Well, not always, but for now. Um, but I know you have a second mailbag question, so go with it. Yeah. So last question for today this is a good one and very relevant based on today. 
have Josh, have your expectations changed based on the move? I'll say it was supposed to be moves, but the move that the Cavaliers made at the deadline with Lavert, have your expectations changed for this season? I'm going as a lifelong Browns fan. I've learned to not have expectations because if you have expectations, you'll most likely only be disappointed. But yeah, just with this Cavs team, like I said earlier, they're playing with house money. They have literally no expectations this season, which makes this season so much more fun than any other season, basically, in my lifetime. But yeah, I think it puts, it made us Cavs fans and I guess the Cavs team realize that, hey, like this is real. I mean, let's be honest. If the Cavs were like a fringe 500 team or a bottom, like top bottom five team in the NBA, which is what they were expected to be this year, there's no way they would have traded for Karis LeVert, even if it meant good basketball in the future. I just think getting the guy like Karis LeVert and giving up a protected first round pick, among other things, just like put the belief in this team and this Cavs fan base that, like, hey, like we're the real deal. I don't care what the expectations were or like what kind of house house money we're playing with right now. But yeah, I'd say I don't like I said, I hate I hate having expectations. But a second round playoff series should be expected right now. Boom. There we go. <laughs> I was waiting for that. <laughs> I gotta we gotta check our answers because damn it. Damn it. <laughs> damn it. <laughs> so you know, obviously expectations have changed. It's been a roller coaster this year. Expectations have been a roller coaster before the season. Expectation was, I hope Evan Mobley's really good. I hope he plays very well. And Garland takes a step. Well, that happened as we got into November, December expectation was, Oh, I, I hope this team, you, you know, can battle for a top six seat because I think they're, they might be good enough to, you oh, know, for that to be the goal. Before you go on another expectation was, I hope Kevin Love gets bought out. What a story that is, but continue. Yep. Yep. Exactly. How do they get rid of love's money? Yep, exactly. (laughs) And then I think we've, you know, this trade deadline has has taken me from, and I know I'm getting greedy here, but what the hell, right? It's been three years of of sucky basketball. Um, You know, I've gone from top six seed, which I think most folks feel pretty comfortable right now. If everyone stays healthy to, yeah, now expectation would be a first series win. Um, you know, based on how they're playing, based on having the best defense in the league uh, with Lavert, he's just such a perfect piece for this team. It's so evident. That's what they need that, you know, I'm, I'm not going to say I'll be, you know, upset if they lose in the first round, but my goal uh, for this team would be a first round playoff series win. Yeah. And I mean, if they get a top four seed home, home court advantage and going back to the top four seeds, uh, the Cavs used to have the easiest remaining schedule in the NBA. Now, with their given their lack of competition the last week or so, it's gone to the 23rd hardest. So tw- they're 23 out of 30, 23rd hardest schedule in the NBA the rest of the year. But if you look at that, they have the 23rd, but Milwaukee's at number two, Chicago's number three, and Philadelphia's number 10, and Miami's number 13. So the other top four teams in the NBA or in the East right now are all in the top 13 strength of schedule wise. So, I mean, I know all like the playoff predictors have like the Cavs have like a 95% chance to make playoffs and it's gotta be without looking, it's gotta be like 55 to 60% top four seed given as long as they stay healthy, which I mean, you could say that for every NBA team. 
But given their schedule the rest of the way, if the Cavs, if once Lowry comes back, he'll, hopefully he'll, it'll be sooner rather than later with a high ankle sprain. I know he's already been ruled out tomorrow night. But, like, it's just crazy that, like, a top four seed in the East and home court advantage in the first round of the playoffs should be expected. It's, I mean, I we both discussed this earlier tonight in the last couple of weeks doing this podcast, but it's just, like, going from, like, hopefully we get the number one pick in the lottery two months later, hopefully we should be able to get a top four seed in the East is, like, mind-boggling. <laughs> You just saying that, okay, makes me realize we're getting greedy. <laughs> I need to slow down, contain the excitement a little bit. <laughs> I knocked on wood. Yeah. <laughs> but seriously, if the Cavs stay healthy, given how they've played, given their uh, strength of schedule or lack thereof, and just given the strength of schedules in the, across the rest of the East, I mean, top four seeds should be expected right now. They're number four right I think they're number four right now, tied for third, a game back of the top seed. And but then they're like two and a half games out of a plane. So like it, I mean, yeah, they're a game out of the top seed in the East, but I mean they're right there with the playing tournament too. Just the East, they don't have the best teams in the NBA. That like I said earlier, that that's Golden State and Phoenix right now. But the East is very good, and they're very very tight in the standings too. So like a bad stretch. But then again, I don't think this Cavs team. Uh, I I won't I won't jinx it. I don't think at full strength. I don't think this Cavs team can have a bad stretch because like if Darius Garland's having an off night shooting he'll dish out 15 assists if Evan Mobley's having an off night he'll still provide a bunch of defense for you we've seen that I mean he's hit the rookie wall a couple of times within the last week or two he still provides so much for you defensively that he's still a huge asset Jared Allen he's a walking double double right now even though he's not an all-star even though he should be Lowry I mean once he comes back hopefully he can give you 15 and seven a game and knock down a couple three. It's just like the Cavs, one player can have an Oh, and then Paris Levert. I mean, if Darius Garland has an off right, he's going to give you 12 assists still. And then Paris Levert will hopefully be able to give you 20, 25 points. It's just like this Cavs team has so many different options. And when none of those options are working on offense, we know that they're going to work defensively. You can't really have an off night defensively, I guess, but it's just like, when you can always lean on your defense, which is amazing to say as a Cavs fan, because they've literally been horrible at defense for years, if not decades, it seems like. Always being able to lean on your defense and your three, two or three seven-footers, it's just like, I mean, like I said, your offense can have an off night. It happens. We're all human. But your defense, you just play defense, and your defense will get you to a win. And we've seen that so many times at Charity. And when the playoffs come, Defense means even more, which is why I'm so excited about this future of this team, I guess. Yeah, just to hit on one quick strength of schedule piece that you referenced earlier. So this made me smile pretty hard if you're watching on YouTube. So, you know, Tankathon has got, um, you know, strength of schedule remaining. And then it's got like the left-hand side, you've got here are the good teams you have to play and how many times you play them. And on the right-hand side, it's got here are the bad teams and how many times you play them. Los Angeles Lakers are on the right-hand side of that column. Here's a bad team that you get to play. So just kind of sweet. Had to call that out. It's kind of beautiful. And well, I know it's funny. If you look at the Lakers, one of their five toughest opponents, your Cleveland Cavaliers. Who would have thought? Who would have thought it? Man, that, like we're not going to talk about LeBron. 
But who didn't see this coming with Russell Westbrook? Like, literally, right when they made the trade, I was like, what are you guys doing? You just got a ball-dominant point guard that can't shoot when that is literally the exact opposite of what LeBron needs. Again, not to, like you just said, not to talk LeBron. It's just so glaring. There are reports out that Palenka, you know, went to LeBron and AD and had a trade ready to go for Buddy Heald. Perfect fit, lockdown shooter, can do a little bit of creation, just optimal fit next to AD and LeBron. And they say, no, we got to go get Russ. I mean, it, I don't even feel bad for him to be completely candid because, you know, they, they kind of made their bed. And I was a little surprised that there was no movement. He's a really hard contract to trade. Westbrook is, but I was a little surprised he was on the team past the deadline today. That is by far the worst. It has to be. I mean, him and John Wall, the by far the two. I mean, Kevin Love's not even up there anymore because he's running for six minutes of the year. Him and Russell Westbrook and John Wall, by far the two worst contracts in the NBA, and it's not even close. Russell Westbrook, I mean, he's going to pay like $44 million or something this year. And the more he, he literally, the Lakers were home the other night and he got the ball, and Lakers fans started chanting, don't shoot, don't shoot, don't shoot. That's how bad things have gotten. But enough Lakers talk. That's just, it's like the writing was on the wall. And I know LeBron recruited him too. But, like, LeBron, what are you doing? Russell Westbrook is literally, like, the worst fit for a guy like LeBron. But, all right, enough Lakers talk, like I said. Back to the Cavs. Um, what were we talking about, Cavs? Oh, playoffs. Yeah, I top four seed is going way back to the mailbag question. Top four seed is my expectation. And I think it should now be the Cavs' ex- expectation as well. I know a couple of them commented on it after last night's game with Karis LeVert making his debut. Just like them, Kobe Altman making that deal for a guy like Karras gave the team plenty of confidence because, like, if your GM and your coach want a guy like Karras Levert, it means that they have trusted you that you're going to do the right thing. Yep. I saw Darius Garland was quoted to say, you know, he used the missing piece. So just, you know, everyone seems like they're really gravitating. Rondo gave Levert great quotes, how dynamic he is and how he was number one person on the scouting report when, you know, it was assumed that the Cavaliers were going to play the Pacers with Levert. So it seems like everyone's been very welcoming. And it's so like Altman that we've kind of learned the past couple of years. He, he was not going to bring in a guy that was questionable. Maybe that's why they didn't go get like a Schroeder or somebody else that may have been a little bit more toxic. He goes and gets a guy that's rumored to be excellent locker room guy wants to be here seems very enthusiastic and excited if you go watch his you know his cavalier kind of intro pressers so it, it cannot be more excited for what the next 30 or so games are going to be yeah and hopefully after that i don't even know what the record is right now to know how many regular season games they have left but yeah i mean i'm excited to see how this team gels together down the stretch they have plenty of time luckily to get like put Karis Levert in the rotation figure out the guys he gels with the guys he doesn't the guys he i guess not gel with and doesn't gel with is bad but like the guys he plays better with and the guys that he doesn't play better with. i mean i know even we can talk about this more too karis avert allows darius garland to play off the ball and vice versa and i just think i mean that even that alone will just ease the burn off darius i mean even when he's in the game play off the ball some and you don't have to worry about dribbling the ball down the court every possession and then trying to make things happen for your four of the teammates 
And that was the deadliest lineup we saw early on this season was when Rubio and Garland were most of the time closing the game, Garland's off the ball, and specifically in playoffs, you know, less looks of a certain thing is better. You know, if, if you continue to run the same plays over and over again, it's just going to help the defense, you know, get more, you know, mental practice and reps on what, what does Garland do in this situation when we blitz them or when we, you know, when we double him with a wing guy. So, you know, the more and more you can kind of take the ball out of his hands in certain, of course, the Cavaliers want to keep the ball in Garland's hands, but in certain situations, having him off ball is critical. So yeah, cannot wait to see what, what Levert and him look like together because Garland and Rubio were so good together on the court. Yeah, and yeah, you summed it up perfectly. And I think, without looking up, I think they had the best net rating on the team among two main lineups that have played like a certain amount of minutes, and one of the best in the NBA too. But yeah, I luckily I they have months to figure it out. I guess I know even JB said like he still has Harris Levert didn't start in his debut because JB is still trying to like figure out the best rotations and stuff. But they have plenty of time to do that, and I just. I don't want to be too high on the trade, the acquisition, the acquisition of Karis Levert, but I think it is not the perfect fit, but for what they gave up, I think it's the best fit you could possibly get. Yep. The one thing that I'm, I'm excited to see too is we've talked a lot about Osman over the past couple of podcasts because he's he's been asked to do so much with Garland being out. Really curious to see if this helps Osman out too. You know, take some of that playmaking away from Osman, let him go back to hit because he was so good in his role early on this season. He he has been good. You know, even when they've asked him to do a little bit more at times, not not consistently. But maybe this this helps Osman step back a little bit, get back to your your normal role of just like run, play fast in transition, take a wide open three. So this this may end up helping out a, a few Cavaliers on that second unit as well. Yeah, you bring up a great point. Jetty, his stats and efficiency went down quite a bit without Darius Garland. Or no, was it? With, yeah, without Darius Garland for that stretch. Because Jetty, I mean, his he's not perfected his role, but he's played his role really well so far this year, which is like a spot-up shooter, a slasher, I get Like a... Yeah, I guess just a spot-up shooter in the corner and a slasher. And with Darius Garland, it seemed like he that was when Jetty was at his best. So, I mean, now that he has Jetty and Karras, and he'll, he'll all but certainly be on the court with one or both of them when he's on the court, I think that'll help Jetty's game a lot. I mean, that that it's not just Jetty either. I mean, just getting a guy like Karras that can get to the basket opens things up for whether it be Kevin Love outside – Jared Allen in the post, Evan Mobley, wherever he is on the court, because it seems like he can literally take his guy off the dribble or post up or whatever. But just like getting a guy like Karras, he might not be the best three-point shooter, but just a guy that could get to the basket from wherever he is on the court and just allow other guys to play off ball and get open is a huge asset to this team. Yeah, I, I can't wait to like I said again. I, I can't wait to see what him and, and Darius do. And I uh, I know we're I know we're running probably a little long. I, I have to bring up at, at least one more one more piece here. Did you get a chance to watch that interview with uh, Garland when he went on to Draymond Green's like show or that like thirty minute YouTube video that that they did together? I guess I should probably watch it, but I try to avoid Draymond Green as much as possible. <laughs> 
<laughs> it was a tough one. Honestly, I almost didn't because I did not want to like somewhat enjoy Draymond Green. And I knew if if he was kind of, you know, boasting about Garland that I was going to turn that way. Um, it, you know, it was it was excellent. If anyone gets a chance, go go back and, and check it out. The one thing that I thought was was really cool um, was that you know, Draymond said, you know, was all fired up about the Cavs stole a championship from me in 2016. You know, of course, when he got suspended, which that, that brought up a lot of, of good memories. I was happy when he got kicked out of that game, but this is about Darius Garland. Um, you know, Draymond said, uh, talking about Evan Mobley and Darius and how, um, he, he went to see Evan Mobley play at USC and, and saw, a, you know, a, a three point, like catch and shoot guy, get the ball. Mobley was still in the paint. And by the time the, the three-point shooter, um, you know, hoisted one up, Mobley just got all the way out from the paint to the three-point line, caught the ball in midair. Um, it was talking about, like, the growth and, and maturation of, of Mobley and how excited Garland should be, you know, playing with a guy like that. So, you know, they, they were talking, uh, you know, Cavs Warriors part five. <laughs> Let me get a little bit ahead of myself, but a very good, uh, very good watch and listen if anyone gets a chance. Man, Chaz Warriors Part Five, and you were making fun of my expectations earlier. <laughs> I'm all in. <laughs> Seriously, oh man, I don't even want. To, I won't even think about that right now. If the Cavs make the finals, no, it's no, no. I'm not can we edit that? Can we cut that? I don't yeah, want that. Yeah, that. I don't want that. On <laughs> it. <laughs> um, yeah, but seriously, I mean, the expectations they should be high right now. So, which is like I said, that's incredible to me. But yeah. I guess we just this is our longest podcast yet. I guess that's what happens when the Cavs actually win when we podcast, huh? Yeah, they go they go three in a row. We have a lot to talk about. So trade deadline. What a week. Trade deadline. Levert three in a row. Somehow I know we're gonna have just as much to talk about next week too. But this one felt special. There was there was so much good stuff to get into. Yeah, and I know like I wanted the podcast Sunday night after the Cavs acquired Terrace Lever, but then I figured they'd make another trade. So I was like, no, let's just hold off till Thursday. And plus it's been like a Thursday podcast, it seems like. But back with that. For those of you that joined us live, we appreciate it. For those of you that listen to us wherever you listen to your podcast, whether it be tomorrow or the next day or, or so on, we appreciate you guys as well. If you do join us live, feel free to leave a comment. We will Future your comments most likely if they're good, and we'll uh, ask or answer questions that you may have as well. And along with the questions, mailbag, tweet at one of us, whether or tweet at WFMICLE. Um, we'll hopefully get to your mailbag questions. Actually, no, we will get to your mailbag questions as long as they're good. And yeah, thank you for joining us. We'll be back with you. I don't, the, the last couple of Thursdays have lined up perfectly because the Cavs have been off, and then last Thursday. Wait, what was that? Oh, last Thursday was uh, NBA All-Star Reserve announcement. This Thursday, trade deadline. We'll be with you next week at some time. Maybe it will be Thursday. Maybe it'll be another day. But, yeah, thanks again for joining us. And most importantly, please help us find a name for this podcast. Don't have it be the Cavs Weekly Podcast because that is beyond boring. So we'll be back with you next week. And as always, go Cavs. Hello, and welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book, and together, we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. 
tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts.